today on Ag News Daily. The remarkable thing is that agriculture is really pretty similar uh, across a lot of my area, right? We're, you know, very heavy, dark soils, uh, prairie pothole region for the great majority of it. But it's just remarkable the issues that one farm has and another farm uh, doesn't have. Well, listeners, welcome back to our Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's October 27th. Got just Tanner here today for the news, but happy to bring you some updates as far as headlines go for today. Freeze warnings have still been issued for much of the northern states, but now they're stemming as far south as Kansas. Parts of southern Wisconsin are also included in those freeze warnings themselves. Temperatures in central Nebraska will drop as low as 26 degrees this weekend. Central Iowa temperatures ranging from 27 to 31. The winter weather advisory that has been in place for North Dakota still remains. We will continue to keep an eye on that as well, expecting another four inches of snow to fall in those areas. It will be light but uh, it will still continue to fall. We're looking at snow pushing its way south into Nebraska for potential there as well, Saturday night and into Sunday. Accumulating snow will make it icy and hazardous for travels. Also, weather front, keeping an eye on that hurricane that Delaney talked about earlier this week. At least 27 people are confirmed dead in Mexico after the ruins of Hurricane Otis have come through. That on Wednesday was a record-breaking Category 5 storm. Four people are also still missing. The Minister of uh, Security for Mexico is continuing to give updates. Officials and military have arrived in Acapulco to help Wednesday after travel was hindered due to the storm damage itself. You can see structures that are torn apart. You can also see several high-rises that have been toppled. Overall, a very strong and bad storm itself. Continuing to keep on the path for avian influenza, the USDA has reported an additional 25 cases in total. The avian influenza since the start of this month, we've talked to you about three of them in the state of Iowa, which is certainly unfortunate. This season is starting to ramp up and it is jumping very quickly. To date, more than 50 9.4 million birds have been reported affected with avian influenza in 2022 and 2023. Those cases are expected to continue to rise. States that are currently have uh, infections being reported to the USDA, Colorado, Idaho, Iowa, Minnesota, Montana, Oklahoma, Oregon, North Dakota, South Dakota and Utah, uh, looking to have a significant impact there as that has spread pretty much from the Midwest to the Western coast of the United States. But we do have some good news. We've got researchers working on this. K-State is now on a mission. They will continue to put together efforts towards helping stop avian influenza, but they also have a department that's working on estimating the potential economic losses from these foreign animal diseases. They will continue to work on those numbers, hoping to provide statistical data that is accurate to put funding and resources behind those projects that are most important. So nestled into the Flint Hills of Kansas, in in Manhattan, sorry, uh, the 
the Kansas State University group will continue to work with the National Bioagro Defense with their facility there, and they will work to continue to build a data center. They will collect collaborative economic data for animal health for the American region, and they will compare what effects these foreign animal diseases have and project out more than a decade from now as to how expensive this will be for the industry and for the food supply. The World Organization of Animal Health will be working with them. This center will work with 33 other countries and continue to put together what potential animal diseases are out there and could take focus away from the food supply. So good work there. A lot of partnerships coming together down in K-State in Manhattan, uh, certainly to put together what the economic impact might be as we sit there. The pipeline will continue to be making headlines. Summit right now is in the headlines because opponents are looking to sue to block their water permit. The Iowa DNR in May tested water withdrawal permits or tested, and they had to file for their water withdrawal submit in order to become compliant within the state. The subsidiary of Summit Carbon Solutions, which is a water cool, uses water as a coolant for the capture of their energy at Homeland Energy Solutions plant near Lawler, is the one that is being focused today. The carbon dioxide pipeline company has requested to withdraw more than 50 million gallons of water from the reservoir each year for beneficial use of cooling this process. This is a permit that they have filed and the Iowa Department of National Resources is cited in another lawsuit to potentially block this permit filing. The department in May issued that withdrawal permit to the subsidiary of Summit Carbon Solutions. So the permit is already in place. The facility is one of more than a dozen ethanol producers in Iowa that is going to be connected on the proposed pipeline for Summit Carbon Solutions. People are concerned about the drinking water. They're also concerned about water availability for other uses when this permit was granted. However, their concern uh, state that this may adversely impact the sources that we will use for beneficial use and should not grant such a large permit to those using it for private profit. The lawsuit points to internal discussions that the DNR and Sierra Club stain that there might not be factual information. Summit's permit now gives them permission to withdraw up to 56 million gallons annually uh, as a part of their cooling process. So it seems like there's always a carbon pipeline in the news for us today. Just a couple quick headlines here before we get into market. For more than 30 years, the National Cooperative Bank has published its list of top 100 cooperatives across the United States. The latest list based on 2022 data has 47 of those top 100 being cooperatives in the ag industry. That estimates that Americans are a member of a cooperative that represents 
the ag industry, and that 47 figure is nearly $319 billion worth of economic driver for the industry. So kind of interesting to see where that sits. Uh, didn't even have, for me personally, I hadn't even thought about cooperatives outside of the ag industry. Of course, that's just a narrow focus of mine. So it's neat when you try to put the world's perspective, at least America's perspective on cooperatives. When you think of uh, electrical and other energy cooperatives that ag cooperatives still have a rather large impact. Last headlines, just getting us caught back up uh, with Israel and Gaza. Israeli troops are continuing to conduct targeted raids in Gaza. They did this for the second straight night as part of their counteroffensive. The health ministry has controlled maybe some cargo going in and out of Gaza. They published a 212-page report on Thursday listing thousands of names that are described as those that have been considered deceased or death due to actions of war. This is all since October 7th. The UN officers are continuing to say that humanitarian aid levels are subpar and are considered inhumane. They will make little to no difference in the 2 million people's lives that are currently stranded in the middle of this battle zone. So we'll continue to keep an eye on where this shakes out. But that is what I have for today for headlines. Let's see if we can see where markets are here at the open. December corn will open up a penny and a half at 481 today. November beans up 15 cents in the overnight to open at 12.94 and a half. Wheat December contract down two cents overnight will open at 577.40. As we continue to look into the livestock side of things, uh, where cattle closed overnight, the October contract uh, closed 181.70. Feeder cattle, October contract 240.55. As we continue to keep an eye on where pork sits, it looks like in the overnight is running even. So we will transfer now to our Friday conversation today. What a fun interview we've got scheduled today. I think a friend of a lot of crop growers in the state of Iowa, and maybe those around the state, got Megan Anderson, Iowa State Extension Field Agronomist, joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I should say welcome back, right? You've been on before. Oh, I'm not sure if I have. I mean, if I haven't, then it's just an excuse to invite me back again, I guess. (laughs) Absolutely. I love this. Why don't you, for our listeners, just give a little overview as to what your role is? We'll go on from there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm an extension field agronomist in central Iowa. So there's 11 of us across the state. And my job is to serve the counties in uh, central Iowa. I have nine counties here. Uh, And really, as a part of that job, I uh, focus on providing education and uh, research-based information to farmers and anybody else in agriculture or even the general public who's interested in agriculture uh, topics. Um, I spend a lot of my time either in meetings, uh, providing trainings for farmers uh, or doing things like field calls, right? Troubleshooting problems that people are having. Um, And my 
background is in general agronomy and weed science. So of course, weeds are a kind of a special pet project area of mine that I find probably most interesting. Absolutely. And we, I love following you on Twitter, Megan, for that very reason that you're out there doing some field scouting, you're talking to growers and you're sharing updates about what you're seeing in the field. So as you look back on 2023, what were some of the big challenges that you saw for growers in your counties you cover? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I, I mean, the remarkable thing is that agriculture is really pretty similar uh, across a lot of my area, right? We're, you know, very heavy, dark soils, uh, prairie pothole region for the great majority of it. But it's just remarkable the issues that one farm has and another farm uh, doesn't have, right? The, how variable things are. Um, probably the big overlying things uh, were definitely uh, dry conditions. Um, so uh, we were we received a lot more rainfall here in central Iowa or most of central Iowa than a lot of other areas of the state. In fact, the majority of the state. Um, and we still had trouble with dry conditions, I think, in parts of the summer and and especially as we approached fall. Uh, corn rootworm pressure uh, was was very high um, in most of my area and, and across a lot of the state again. Uh, and then in some areas, we definitely had issues with uh, disease problems uh, and weed pressure as well. So tar spot is definitely the the corn disease that that stood out the most. And then um, as far as soybeans go, honestly, maybe Phytophthora or white mold, right? We had some kind of weird disease issues that we don't typically see very um, intensely here in central Iowa, or we haven't for a number of years. Uh, and then water hemp sneaking up underneath the corn canopy is probably the biggest weed issue that I noticed. I have, feel like I've noticed that more. Maybe I'm more overcritical this year of you know, pictures on Twitter, videos on social media of combines rolling the field through the field and wondering if it's a cover crop or if it's that water hemp like you just described. As you look at the growers that you work with, what's the overarching yield comment, commentary look like? Yeah, I mean, I think farmers are awfully hard on themselves and don't want to get their hopes up, right? So I think it's always, almost always, it's better than expected, which is just kind of a safe place to be. Uh, but really, I, I think yields are above average, uh, even uh, maybe in some cases, trend line average here in central Iowa. I don't know that that'll actually shake out when it comes to, to those final like USDA numbers. I know there's a lot of controversy around that, but um but but yields really are are remarkably pretty good um, for corn. Uh, in fact, very very good in some cases, except for those areas that really suffered from things like tar spot. Uh, soybeans are I'd say they're more average, right? Maybe a little bit above average for for many growers, but but just kind of uh, the standard, you know, like sixty two to seventy two catches pretty much all the soybean yields <laughs> that I've been hearing so far. So Megan, the other thing I wanted to make sure we touched on with you, because I know this is a fairly new weed species that I saw an article you were quoted on here recently, is the Asian copper leaf. What is it and where have you been seeing it? What's it do to crops? Yeah, that's, uh, uh, we don't know much, much more than we do know about this species. So this uh, Asian copper leaf, uh, it's in, we call them acolypha species, that's the genus. And so we have a number of acolypha species that are 
um, either native to Iowa or, or common here in the Midwest uh, or even down into the southern U.S., um, but this Asian copper leaf is native to Asia, um, and it's kind of naturalized in some other parts of the world. Uh, but until we found it in Iowa, the only um, like widely documented case of this species in the United States was actually in New York City. And so it's a really like unusual thing to find and to run into it in a seed corn field in Blackhawk County in 2016. Uh, we just really had no idea where it came from. And thought honestly thought it was kind of a fluke until we started uh, hearing about more scenarios of this species show up underneath crop canopies. And so most people, when they find it, they find it at harvest and they find it because it's surviving underneath the crop canopy. And when they pull their crop off the field, it's almost like a carpet underneath uh, the corn or the soybeans. Um and so there's a really a lot that we don't know about it, but we're certainly trying to uh, kind of keep our ears and eyes out for more cases of this and trying to figure out how it got here and what threat it does pose to agriculture. So, so far, since the first find in the fall of 2016, uh, we have found it in five fields across five counties in north central Iowa, ranging basically from Grundy and Blackhawk County all the way west to Calhoun County. So, uh like I said, there's a lot that we don't know, but that's the those are the basics. Right. So is that something that is uh, we're expecting to spread quickly or something that could be limited in exposure? Uh, I mean, you know, the word I'm thinking of is quarantine, but that's not accurate as far as that goes. Yeah. I mean, it would be wonderful, right? That's one of the like classic tenets of weed management um, would be like preventing the spread of a new weed species. Uh, and we have certainly talked with the growers who um, who have this species regarding things like uh, harvest order uh, or cleaning out harvest equipment and uh, being cautious with doing things like running tillage equipment through there and then moving on to another field. Um, I think my concern is that, you know, like when we're finding it, it's already so intensely uh, established in that area, right? I mean, it is just an absolute carpet of plants underneath the canopy. And so I think by the time we're discovering it right now, we're already kind of behind the eight ball on that. But it's a great point that, you know, really we don't know how fast it will spread or if it will spread. We don't know if it poses much of a yield threat to crops. Um, there's a lot that we don't know, but we certainly uh, know just enough to be concerned about it. So Megan, as you look at the 2024 growing season, how are you advising growers to maybe change things up for the next growing season, considering maybe some new weed threats that you're discovering, such as Asian copper leaf and those that we continue to discuss, like tar spot, any new recommendations you're looking at here for 2024? That's a great question. I don't know whether there's anything like new and groundbreaking <laughs> that's happening, but certainly uh, I think we need to step up our game from a weed management perspective in general, especially looking at corn. I think we've done an awfully good job in soybean really this year, soybean weed control overall, I thought looked really excellent. Um, but I think we're seeing more weeds make it through underneath that corn canopy that are producing seed and are going to put substantially more pressure on uh, our soybean herbicide programs. And so whatever we can do in that corn year to clean things up, and, and that may be changing herbicide programs. Um, it may be increasing rates of herbicides that we're already using. 
Um, but I think it certainly needs to include uh, paying attention to how you're making that spray application. So uh, things like carrier volume, uh, the nozzles that you're using, all of those are going to be so important in addition to making sure that you're out there in that field in a timely manner. And so I'm I'm really hitting that hard this winter, or at least that's my plan. Um, I do think tar spot really surprised people and then corn rootworm pressure surprised people. So I think we're going to have a lot of conversations this winter about how we can best manage those um, and be prepared for that. Because um, on the whole, maybe not everybody was dealing with those issues, but those who were dealing with them, they were pretty intense. Uh, and so that's something that, you know, these, these pressures are here um, and we just need to figure out how best to manage them. And there's several different strategies and, and what one farmer chooses is probably going to be totally different than what another farmer chooses, but it's just important to, to present those options so they can make the best choice for their farm. Yeah, I would echo the same. I feel like a lot of our bean fields are very clean this year. The ones that did have escapes, I, I think we're able to track down to uh, the conditions in which the herbicide was applied. It's probably more the detriment to anything else. Last question I've got before we wrap up today is in regards to fungicide. Are you still, still seeing that pass across the field paying off for growers? And I know we've reported on a couple of articles here that states Due to that tar, tar spot, it may be in short supply next year, potentially. Yeah, so I, I hear that a lot, you know, primarily from like retailers and, and manufacturers. So I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how how big of an issue it's going to be when it comes down to it during the growing season. But certainly I think uh, anybody who has been dealing with tar spot year in, year out, or uh, who has the... Uh, you know, they're choosing their hybrids this fall and they're hearing from their company, yeah, this hybrid is is not real strong against tar spot, right? We we need to start that planning process now and making those decisions regarding whether we'd like to sort of prepay for fungicide and have that arranged already. Um, and then uh, I, I definitely think fungicide can pay. I don't think it always pays. Um, I think it's it, it has to do with so many different uh, situations, and Allison Robertson would be so disappointed if I didn't talk about the disease triangle that that we really do need uh, those stars to align for disease to be a problem. And the big thing is what's the environment going to do? And so, so sometimes we've got the environment that's going to allow these diseases to be hugely problematic, and other times we don't. But we do have tools to help. Uh, hopefully gauge whether or not that's going to be an issue. So there's a great app out there called Tar Spotter that's getting honed in better every single year to help farmers um, better understand whether the weather conditions have been good for tar spot to spread and whether they should be scouting uh, and then potentially making a fungicide application. And so I think that those are great things to be thinking about now. Um, but it, when it re really comes down to it, it's it's the weather and the hybrid you choose. So Megan, as you look at what's ahead here, you've got a great conference coming up with the Integrated Crop Management Conference put on by Iowa State. I know that's right around the corner for you guys, but uh, who's that aimed towards and what are the topics you guys are going to be covering? Yeah, the Integrated Crop Management Conference is a conference that's been going on for a long time, and it's really aimed more toward our um, industry partners, ag retailers, other ag service providers. Um folks that are working for those uh, those big companies, right, BSF, um, Bayer, Corteva, Syngenta, things like that. 
Um, and then uh, farmers are absolutely welcome as well, but it's a very science-based uh, uh, conference. And we're excited this year. It's on December 4th and 5th. That's a Monday and Tuesday. And we're actually moving it from Ames, where it has always been for 30 plus years, down to Prairie Meadows um, Event Center uh, in Altoona. And so we think it's a, a really neat venue and it's going to be really exciting. We've got a ton of great topics that are going to be relevant to us here in agriculture from you know, basics on weeds, insects, and disease, uh, soil and water, nutrient management. We've got a number of invited speakers, and we're even going to have a panel uh, that will discuss some of the uh, EPA Endangered Species Act um, potential regulations that may be coming down and some changes in pesticide labeling. And so I think it'll be really useful. Awesome. And I know that's right around the corner, December 4th and 5th. Megan, I know you shared the link to register for that on your Twitter account. So let's plug your Twitter account here before we let you go today. All right. That's great. Yeah. So anybody who would like to follow along on my adventures and, and see what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis uh, can follow me at on Twitter. It's at, at MJAnders1. Uh, and I'd love to have you follow along and, and reach out to me on there. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time, Megan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, listeners, thanks for sticking around, hanging out with me to do the news uh, as solo this morning. I will uh, be back again with Delaney on Monday, so looking forward to that. But for today, enjoy your weekend. We're going to let you go.